If you have your Bible with you, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 11. We want to focus a little bit uh, on the greatness of God. In the day that we live in today, we are surrounded by so many things that grab our attention and that take our focus and our energy away from the things of God. And just for a few moments, we want to focus in on the greatness of our God. And uh, here in Romans chapter 11, verses 33 to 36, we find the Apostle Paul moving from theology to doxology. And theology is the study of God, and doxology is the worship of God. And this is where all theology ought to end. All theology ought to end up in praise to God. Paul brings uh, to a conclusion in these first 11 chapters of, of the doctrine that he has been teaching the doctrine of sin and condemnation in chapters 1 through uh, chapter 3, verse 20. The, the doctrine of salvation by faith, chapters 3, uh, middle of chapter 3, verse 21 to chapter 5. The doctrine of sanctification that he, he brings out in chapters 6, 7, and 8. And then the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, which he has just gone through in chapters 9 through 11. And before he moves on to that practical section uh, in the re remaining parts of the chapter, the remaining parts of the book. And so Paul, he gets to this place here in chapter 11, at the end of chapter 11, after he has been occupied with this teaching, this doctrine, and he arrives at this place and there's no greater note to end on for the Apostle Paul than to pause and give thanks and praise to God. And that's why it ends in this doxology that we're going to read here. It says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? And who has been his counselor? Or who has first given to him? And it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be the glory forever. Amen. And so when we look at this doxology that he ends up with, uh, the first thing that we see is that true worship, true worship is filled with the awe uh, in awe of the purposes and plans of God. And that's really what Paul is emphasizing here. As Paul meditates on these uh, thoughts that are given to us in chapters 9 through 11, he outlines God's sovereign plan for Israel. In chapter 9, he brought out Israel's past, God's ways and working with Israel in the past. In chapter 10, he shows that God is still working with Israel. God has not done away with Israel. God has not replaced Israel with the church as some would teach today. But, but God has a plan for Israel. And there's a present work of God being done, bringing out of uh, Judaism and bringing into uh, the grace of God, introducing them to the grace of God. That's the present plan of God. But there's also a future plan of God, and that comes out in chapter 11. Paul moved, Paul is moved at this point uh, uh, in awe at the mystery and majesty of God's plan. And in these chapters, Paul has shown that God is faithful to his word, and God is always faithful to his word. 
Even in our day, today, we can depend and trust on God's word. God has a saving purpose that will not fail concerning Israel and concerning all men. He has graciously uh, purposed in election and, and choosing a remnant of, of the Jews in this age. He has a sovereign plan for the inclusion of, of Gentiles in his saving purposes. And that's what comes out in the earlier chapters of the book of Romans. And yet those who reject Christ remain responsible for their unbelief. But what we see here is the gospel call is, is freely offered to all who will call upon the name of the Lord. And that's both Jew and Gentiles are invited to come and all may be saved. And so how wonderful. And Paul is, and Paul is captivated with this. And Paul is teaching this. And, and he comes to this, this point in his teaching where here in chapter 11, this mystery of God's continuing plan for the nation of Israel. And there's coming a day when the, the blindness from Israel's heart will be removed and they will embrace their Messiah with faith so that all Israel will be saved. But the thoughts that I want to bring us to are three thoughts that really come out of these verses that we've read, and particularly verses 33 down to verse 36. There's three main thoughts that I want to emphasize to us here. And the first one is the inscrutability of God. Uh, when Paul thinks of the lofty truths that he's been outlining and that, that he's just communicated with these Roman believers and, and he is just struck with awe. He's struck with amazement. And this is the proper response of the saving grace of God and, and its limitless depth in which Paul mentions here. Where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. Or as another translation says, much more. And how wonderful to see that he begins this section with this explanation. Uh, and he says, oh, the depths. Now, it's easy for us to pass over that little word, oh. But really in the Greek, it's, it, it, it is there to express uh, uh, a strong emotion. And we get a sense of Paul's emotion that Paul is overwhelmed as he meditates on the greatness of God and the greatness of God's plan and the greatness of God's person. He is just overwhelmed. He's much like a mountain climber. And, and as a mountain climber would climb uh, the, the, the mountain that's set before him and as he rives up on the, the highest peak of that mountain and he looks over from that highest peak of that mountain and he looks at the expanse of mountain peak after mountain peak after mountain peak. And he his breath is taken away from him. And he's standing there in wonder and awe. And that's where the Apostle Paul is uh, here at this point. He, he is just breathless. His breath is taken away from him. And he's just in awe of God's greatness and God's grace and, and the magnitude of, of God's mercy. Not only on Israel, but even on all of us. But particularly here in this section, Paul doesn't stop there. In fact, Paul says, oh, the depths of the riches. Think of that. Paul is, is exhausting human language to express the greatness of God. The word depth here, it, it's an interesting word. It has the thought of, of things hidden and above man's scrutiny. Man can't scrutinize the work of God. 
God is God's ways and God's thoughts are so much higher than man's. And, and so he says here, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Wisdom here refers to the revealed plan of God and salvation. And think of this, he says, but for the fullness of time, the fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that he might receive, that we might receive the adoption as sons. That's in Galatians chapter four, verses four and five. God's knowledge here is, is in his active involvement in the affairs of men, not merely about, Knowledge here isn't just about God, but it shows and demonstrates the very the activeness of God involved. In fact, in the book of Second uh, Corinthians, chapter five, verse twenty-one, we remember that verse that he says, "For he has made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him." That's God's active work, and and we see that here. And, and Paul is captivated by this, the greatness of God's grace. And when we think about this, it goes on to say that God's judgments or God's decisions are unsearchable, meaning that they cannot be searched into. They are inscrutable and unfathomable, and his ways are incomprehensible, meaning that they're untraceable, they're untrackable. And here Paul gives praise to God, not just for what Paul understands and what for, for what Paul knows, but he actually gives praise to God for what he doesn't know and what he doesn't understand. Uh, for the gospel, uh, for, sorry, for the apostle Paul, not only being able to understand what God is doing uh, was, was not a reason to abandon his faith just because he couldn't understand what God was doing. That's not a reason to give up on your faith. And in our day to day, when we don't understand what's going around in our world, that's not a reason to give up on our faith. That's a reason to give him praise. That's a reason to trust him even more. And, and that's where Paul is saying here for us. In fact, Paul goes on uh, uh, to, to emphasize this and he, he just opens up from his heart in this Explanation of praise. And when we think about this, that a God who we can fully comprehend would not be much of a God to follow. And we read in the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, we read, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are, my, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord, says Jehovah. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 29, verse 20, 29, it says, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but those things which are revealed belongs to us and to our children forever, that we may do the words of this law. And then there's a verse tucked away in, in Psalm 77, verse 19, that says, your way was in the sea, your path in the great waters, and your footsteps were not known. Just all these verses are underlining us, uh, underlining to us that God's ways 
are not our ways, that our thoughts are not his thoughts. That, as Paul would say here uh, in, in our verse, uh, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. So that's the inscrutability of God. But then there's something else here that we find, and that's the autonomy of God. Not only was Paul filled with awe at the greatness of God's plan, he was also speechless at the greatness of God's person. And in verses 34 to 35, uh, Paul asks three rhetorical questions. And of course, these being rhetorical questions, uh, these three questions right one after the other uh, really have the, the answer uh, or assume the answer of no, no one. And Paul asked the question, uh, who has known the mind of the Lord? And there's silence because the answer is no one. Who has been God's counselor? Again, silence because the answer is no one. And then thirdly, who has first given to God? And there's silence because the answer is no one. These questions serve to shut the mouths of all those who might seek to boast in God's presence. In verse 34, the apostle uses this language that really comes from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13, which in its context is dealing with the return of the nation of Israel from Babylon, Babylonian captivity. The implication is that no one could have foreseen God's deliverance of the nation of Israel. From their Babylonian captivity. No human could have devised this plan. In a similar way. Paul uses this verse in Romans. Chapter 12 verse 11. Uh, chapter 11 sorry. To highlight that no human. Could have devised the plan of God. To turn again to the nation of Israel. In the last days. And to remove their blindness that they might experience salvation. But this is exactly what God has done and will do in a coming day. And then in verse 35, the question remains, uh, re reminds us of God's question to Job. This question in verse 35 that he asked, or who has first given to him, and who shall, and it shall be repaid to him. The question is, uh, that was asked to Job, who, who has preceded him that I should pay him? And everything under heaven is mine, God would say. And the question is, who gave to God first? Who gave to God first? And he tells us that, that he'll pay that person back. But in Job's case, there's silence. Now, if you go back to, to Job, uh, chapters 38 to 42, You'll find there in that section that God is questioning Job, question after question after question after question, that God is bringing Job to a place where he just has to hold his, his peace. He just has to hold his mouth. And what's interesting there in that section is it's emphasizing uh, the magnitude and the majesty of such a God. And in fact, in chapter 41, in verse 1, God asked Job, he says, Job, if you can't 
tame the liathan, if you can't domesticate and this liathan, and the liathan, by the way, was a, a large sea creature, and he's saying, listen, if you can't control this sea creature and domesticate this animal, then how is it that you think you can control the, the creator? Joe, you, you can't even control the creature. How are you going to control the creator? And of course, Job is silent. And that's what we find here. And so we emphasize the fact that God stands alone. This idea of the autonomy of God. God stands alone. Meaning that he, he acts independent of anyone and anything. He is self-governing. Bestowing salvation according to his divine purpose and pleasure. And that's what we find. So the inscrutability of God. The autonomy of God. And then thirdly, these last verse shows us the sovereignty of God. That God is in control of everything. And how reassuring for us today to be reminded that our God is in control of everything. Paul comes to the crescendo. He comes to, he's building, he's been building this up. And he comes to this point. And his heart is overflowing. And it's often been said that high theology, and that's really what the book of Romans is, all the way up to this point in Romans, we have this doctrine, this teaching, this high theology, this teaching of God and his plans and his ways. And high theology brings us to high doxology. And that's what we find here in this section. And as Paul comes to this section, he's struck by the uh, how everything is centered around God. And this is basic, this is the basis of this doxology uh, that God is shown here to be the source of all things, to be the means of all things, and to be the goal of all things. And that's what we have here. Notice it says in verse 36, for of him, and this word of him, it means out of him. It means that he is the source of all things. He is the architect of all things. This reminds us of the past. That every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And comes down from the father of lights. In whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. James chapter 1 verse 17. God is the source of all things. And how good it is for us to re be reminded that, that everything that we see in this universe, everything, God is the source. But not only for out of him or of him are all things, but through him. Now this has the idea that he is the only channel. He is the only channel. He is the administrator and the sustainer. Of all things. And particularly in, in the context of Romans. I would say that he is the administrator and sustainer of grace. The very means of all things. This really reminds us of the present. What God is doing right now in our lives. What God is allowing. What God is bringing into our lives. It really reminds us. There's a little verse in, in First uh, Chronicles chapter 29, verse 14, that uh, 
I appreciate it says, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. That's an amazing verse. So it's through him. All things come from him or out of him. He is the architect. He is the uh, administrator because all things are through him. But he's also the aim. It says to him. He is the goal. He is the supreme purpose of all things. And this points us to the future and reminds us uh, that our aim, that our aim in a coming day is going to be that all things go back to God. All things are going to be given back to him. We have that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I just read these verses in verses 24 to 28. And it says, then comes the end when he, the Lord Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father. When he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him that God may be all in all. That points us to a coming day. So when Paul comes to this crescendo here in verse 36, he is just captivated about the greatness of God, captivated about the greatness of God's grace, captivated about the greatness of God's plan, captivated about the greatness of God's person and purposes, and he comes to this point and he says, for out of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. And you know, this little word amen at the end, we know it means uh, so be it. It's us adding our uh, acceptance of it and we say so be it, amen. But when we look at this word, amen, when we say amen to this doxology, what are we really saying? We're saying that God is everything and that I am nothing. We're saying that I deserve nothing and God deserves all the praise. And so Paul takes our focus. Paul takes our focus here. And I would believe that in a day that we're living in today, the Spirit of God would want us to take our focus off of our circumstances, off of our difficulties, and place them on the greatness of God's grace in our life. And that's what we have here in this little section, this little doxology of praise to our God. And may that flow from our hearts for his namesake.